Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway for You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. And welcome to this special spoiler review from Picard Season 3 from the Geek Buddies! Hey! hey! That's right, that's <laughs> our attempt there to get do the Geek Buddies intro. Thank you all so much for joining us. I am the outlaw, John Roca, joined today for this review of Episode 4 of Season 3 of Picard by my Cinephiles co-host, but also... The co-host of the Enterprise Incidents of Fantastic Star Trek podcasts that is hosted by my by the the, the person I'm about to introduce <laughs> and Scott Mance talking about Star Trek. They did the entire original series. They are now doing the animated series from Star Trek. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Geek Buddies here to review Picard, Steve Morris. How are you, Steve? I'm great, and I'm truly honored to be on the Geek Buddies and <laughs> going to do my best to fill. I guess not. One pair of shoes, but two pairs of shoes. That's a that's a lot, but I'm ready. <laughs> it's a, exactly well. One of those uh, pairs of shoes is in New Zealand, which is why he's not here uh, recording this uh, review. So uh, we are going to do our best to soldier on and talk about this particular episode of uh, Picard and a lot to, to dive into for sure. Called No Win Scenario, Steve. You and I, as I just said, you covered the original series. We have uh, co- we have reviewed and uh, broken down Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan on the cinephiles with Scott Mance and the no win scenario is certainly the Kobayashi Maru. It's apparently the third time they have referenced this in these new star Trek shows as a title for an episode. I think prodigy, a prodigy had it as Kobayashi and another, um, I think Voyager had it as Kobayashi Maru. So not, so this is the third time it's being referenced here in a, in a star Trek show. So, uh, the way I like to do things is I like to jump in and talk about overall thoughts and then break this thing down. But I'll tell you this, I feel like I have to navigate this review with you because so much was going on here. So I'm going to do my best to guide us to make sure we cover everything before we wrap up. And, and before we dive in, I do want to give love to Carbon Health who continues to power and sponsor us on the Geek Buddies through the month of March. You know, we're losing them at the end of March, but for now, got to give them love. If you have any healthcare questions, concerns, or needs, Head on over to CarbonHealth.com or download the app to have a doc in your pocket for any of those concerns. No matter what century you're in, no matter what starship you're in, and no matter if you're a changeling or not, they might be able to help you with any of the uh, concerns you might have. So, Steve, no-win scenario, directed again by Jonathan Frakes, who did the last episode as well. Give us your overall thoughts on this episode. It's great. 
that's my overall thoughts. I mean, maybe you wanted me to go on a little bit longer than that, but I got to say, I think this is, I think Picard season three mm. is the best Star Trek. It's the best Star Trek of all the new shows, I think, wow. including Strange New Worlds, which wow. I really, really like. Yeah. And I, re I really do like Strange New Worlds. There okay. are all sorts of great things on Discovery. I think Lower Decks is a great show. I haven't yeah. watched Prodigy, so I can't speak to that. But here's the thing. What I didn't expect, and particularly with this episode, yeah. was how they could continue to explore great Star Trek ideas, explore the past with these people, and honestly, fucking move me multiple mm -hmm. times. Yeah. Multiple times. And I feel like they're doing such a good job of this thing that has been tried so many times and is so hard, which is to properly service all of these characters in ways that is moving and fulfilling mm -hmm. and deals with their history and, and takes them to new places we haven't seen before. I, I really think they're killing it. I really do. Yeah, I absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, this feels like these four episodes, this end of this episode feels like a four part episode of Star Trek next generation. Some of the best episodes of Star Trek next generation wrapped up into one four episode arc, which has been fantastic to witness and experience here. You know, a lot, as I said before on these review shows, a lot of people that I respect and admire in the Star Trek community who got these episodes early couldn't stop crowing about how great they are, building up the hype because season two kind of wasn't 100% there. Season one, people liked, I liked for the most part, but season three was something that was getting all this hype. And I was like, really? Are they really going to get there? And sure enough, you know, after four episodes, I feel 100% like they were absolutely right. Their opinions are vindicated like, uh, like I haven't seen before with Star Trek, and I've really enjoyed it. And this episode is another example why. We did not have any Rafi or Worf follow-up in this. This was completely all on the Titan and the Shrike being involved as well in the back half of the episode, but everything is on the Titan here, and we're exploring these relationships. You know, Steve, I said this last week, the Next Generation fans now who used to make fun of us for loving the old guys on the Starship and the old ladies on the Starships when we were watching those star, uh, the original series movies, now are in the same boat we were, and they're the ones who now have to take a little bit of ridicule about watching their heroes aged heroes on these starships going through these adventures they are way too old to be doing this stuff but yet the magic and the nostalgia and the connective tissue the relationships the chemistry it's all here in this episode of the tng uh, of, of uh, picard here reflecting that tng energy and it's great to see along with some uh, characters who don't necessarily revere these characters which i think is great we're caught up in this the nostalgia but captain shaw and certainly jack crusher jr remind us of why these heroes we may love them but they're not infallible and they're full of mistakes they're full of errors and certainly stuff at home doesn't reflect how great they are on a starship and isn't that what we see in our modern society in our society for decades actually steve where great famous people accomplish all these incredible things but their kids at home or their families at home are broken or fractured or bitter or angry or there's stuff to repair there all the time because in order to achieve those great things they have to spend less time at home constructing what they construct and i think it all comes home in that moment at the end of, near the end of the episode where jack crusher um you know under disguise asks picard about uh, uh if he ever wanted another family at home and Picard answers it in a way that he couldn't have known at the time 
was a gut punch to poor Jack Crusher Jr. So I love that we've got so much to explore in this episode. Anything else you want to throw in before we jump into some of these relationships? Just a cu- couple of responses. The, the 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 big one is that you mentioned how they you know had broken and hurt these people around them. Well, they're also yeah. one of the things this episode is exploring is that how they broke and harmed themselves. You know, oh, great point. Yes, like I, I yeah. didn't think about, I didn't think about this. I mean, obviously, there's the great episode, Family, right after Best of Both Worlds in season four of Star Trek, right. where Picard goes home, and that's certainly an episode that deals kind of with PTSD. But yeah. all of Picard is dealing with that. All you know, we're dealing with Riker's trauma, we're dealing yeah. with Picard's trauma, we're dealing with Shaw's trauma, we're dealing with Seven's trauma, we're dealing with all the, and of course, Jack and what happens to him. Yeah. And so, and and I think what one of the interesting things, and I know we need to get into the spoiler review, is just it's what it, what this series is doing is reckoning with the damage done by the heroic Star Trek, the next generation. Yeah. You know, like that's what it's saying. Yeah, that was all great, but look at where it's left us. Look yeah. at who, look at where these people are today. And it's hard. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, you know, shout out to Terry Metalis, who who's the showrunner here in uh, the work they've done in bringing in the right writers to be able to walk that line or that tightrope really, because we've seen, you know, how I go back to Snyder and the D a lot of people thought that he hated Superman. That was why his man of steel turned out the way he did. It did. I don't agree, but, I, but I can understand why people might feel that way. And certainly this is a dangerous line that they're walking here where they can kind of stay in Picard. And some of the um, criticisms of the Picard series have been like, They've been focusing on just deconstructing his heroic legendary status. And it's frustrated some fans of the character of Picard in that approach. But I think they've got the right balance in this version uh, or in this season, rather, of Picard of showing all the great exploits showing. I mean, when he retakes command of the Titan there uh, or to command of a ship, it's first time commanding the Titan. It's so great. That's such an awesome moment. But you also end it with him remembering where he had seen Jack Crusher before and what he had said to Jack Crusher in that moment. So you get the balance and you yourself as a viewer have to kind of reckon with that. And I think it's great. The gr- showing the greatness of a character is always fantastic. If you do it the right way, it'll resonate with people even more. You know, So I appreciate that. Um, all right, let's jump into the review here. And, and, and as I said, I'm going to navigate this as best I can. And I think I want us to go through it with relationships. I think that's the thing for me here. So let's talk about Picard and Riker throughout this episode. Clearly, last episode, they had had a bit of a falling out at the end of that episode. Riker you know, telling Picard to get off the bridge. Uh, Picard had taken a personal shot at Riker after he had complained that Beverly had taken a personal shot against him when he was talking about the Jack situation. Uh, and so that caused a little enmity between these two. Uh, and uh, And we see that Riker is realizing that everything he wants to try is not going to work. It's going to eventually lead to their deaths, either slowly or quickly. Every other, every option he is trying and going through with the entire crew of the Titan, he's realizing he's running out of options. So he comes down there to talk to Picard. Picard tries to apologize to him. Picard, Riker stops him and says, you were right. Was he right about this or no? He's right about the fact that, uh, Riker was commanding from a place from a fear of loss. And he speaks about his son dying and seeing the coffin go in and not feeling anything, feeling an emptiness there and being unable to connect with Deanna because of that emptiness. And he thought him leaving might cause him to kind of take a little bit of a break and reanalyze things. And Riker tells Picard to have a conversation with his son because you don't know how much time we have. 
And of course, later we see how uh, Riker and Picard come back together on the bridge, work together to get the uh, Titan out of that nebula, fling an asteroid at the Shrike and escape this whole thing as they all come together. So what did you think about the exploration we had of Riker and Picard leading to also Riker having that conversation with Deanna at the end? That for me, I don't know for you, Steve, I got, I started crying. I, I felt that deep in my soul, that back and forth with him, Deanna, just from the nostalgia of those characters, but the connection of those actors. What do you think of this relationship throughout this episode? I think it's also powerful. And, and, and first of all, it's, it's this thing that's really, really difficult to do in writing, which is to have the story and character evolutions coinciding perfectly with the machinations of the plot mm. so that Riker has to overcome personal issues within himself yes, in order to become the captain he needs to be. And Picard is also, I mean, like going for, and it's funny because in the previous episode, the scene with Beverly and Picard where yeah. he asks, why didn't you tell me? It really shows why Patrick Stewart is such an incredible actor when you give him stuff to do. Yeah. I don't think Jonathan Frakes is at the Patrick Stewart level of acting. I love Jonathan Frakes. Right. I think he's, a, I think as an actor, he's usually really, really solid and he's a really good director. Right. In this episode, you see yeah. this is the best performance, I think, maybe of all time from Riker. It's the most subtle. It's, I mean, there's some, there are some good episodes, some Riker episodes I absolutely love, but a lot of the best Riker things are him being sort of light and charming. Yeah. You know, they're him, they're, they're him with that smirk. Whereas him being truly, truly vulnerable. And what's so interesting, too, is like, it's not just that he kicks Picard off the bridge. He says at the end of the last episode, you just killed us all. Yeah. I mean, that is because a lot of what Picard has to deal with is guilt, you know, which also connects to the discussion with uh, Captain Shaw and Ten Ford later on. Is, yeah, later on, yeah. It's the damage that he's done around the world that Picard is reckoning with. And yeah. I think, too, the idea that Riker's grief, his lack of hope, is what is preventing him from being the captain he needs to be. Because I'll tell you something about this episode in general. Mm -hmm. And and this is, I'm gonna, it's gonna sound like a criticism, but it is in fact a compliment, which is that half the episode was very frustrating to me because they're not doing what you always do in a Star Trek episode. Because <laughs> in a Star Trek episode, yeah, you're like, we are gonna fight till the last second to save the ship. And wow. Riker gives up. And so watching that, like just them sort of well, I'm going to send a message and maybe yeah. we'll give each other hugs. And I'm going, no, you got to you got to do something. And yet that you got to do something is exactly what Riker needs to go through as a character to evolve, to get back to the place where we're going to fight till the last possible second. Right. And that's the truth. You have to. And that's the thing sometimes people forget, which I think you, you very astutely point out, Steve, is these characters, if you're going to bring them back, you've got to give them something interesting to do, something interesting to navigate. And look, we all go through stages in life. And I think this is the thing that, uh, you know, we kind of, I don't want to invoke the other franchise, but we'd seen people get upset about the way Luke Skywalker was brought back in The Last Jedi. And look, I know some people are never going to get over that, but there was an approach here that, uh, that Ryan Johnson wanted to go with was, is all these years later, when you've all had all that time by yourself, there can be a bitterness. There can be a feeling of like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want to just be peaceful. The drama, all of that. We as fans are watching going, come on, get in the fight. 
But as a character, when you analyze the character, you, you can't help but fall back in like and understand, especially as I'm getting older, you're getting older, that feeling of wanting to re-engage and reconnect with the drama to once again do something, it can be so exhausting because it takes so much effort, emotional effort and physical effort to do so. And I love what you said about Frakes. Absolutely, this is one of the greatest performances, if not the greatest performance uh, he's ever delivered as Riker. Him just kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but just moving over to the window almost laboriously, I guess, is the word I would use because of the weight of everything that is on him and the feeling of guilt about the Titan die, uh, that is going to die, the feeling of guilt that he has about how he couldn't connect with Deanna, the feeling of guilt that he's got about the, the feelings he had about his son dying and the blackness and all of that. As, an, as you become an older person, that stuff can really consume you. That stuff can really start to affect you. So seeing it affect Riker the way it does, it makes you hesitate. Picard himself, dealing with the fact that he has a son for the first time ever on board, he's still navigating all of that while all this shit is going on. You know, I, I, I know there's a lot of Star Trek II references, but I think of, you know, of uh, Shatner when he says that in Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, you show me an old, you show me an old enemy that's coming to kill me and the son that wants to help him do so. You know, those kinds of things, the weight of all of that. And Picard is yep. much, much older than Kirk was in Wrath of Khan. So it's even harder to get that thing. So I love that we had this feeling like they were in molasses before they finally started moving and then came together and kicked a bunch of ass at the end of this episode for sure so that was uh great to see um let is there any more thing more you want to add yeah well i'll say i'll say one one sorry one one quick thing about it is that and again i don't want to comment on these other uh series either but i i'll just say for me i don't have a problem with superman killing zod and i don't have a problem with luke skywalker having changed in last jedi it's all about execution and both of those the execution doesn't work for me in the way that it does work for me here because when you see it and you see what's happening to these characters it makes sense. It yeah. works and it moves me. You know, yeah. that's the difference for me. Yeah, clearly. And, and both of us, I imagine, were moved by the end of that speech with Riker. I mean, I was getting shades oh. of Bruce, Bruce Willis and Die Hard trying to deliver the speech initially. Exactly. And then he stopped halfway yeah. through, or he stopped that sentence into it. And yeah. then when he came back to it, it was more honest, it was yep. more real. And I'm glad that they brought Marina Sirtis in to have that back and forth with him. Um, can, and I wonder if we're going to see her in person at some. I hope we do. I hope we do. Yeah. Can, can I say one one yeah, more yeah, thing yeah. that just occurred Please. to me, which is that the moment because I think it is the culmination for Riker of tossing an asteroid at the other ship, <laughs> and she says, "Did you just toss an asteroid?" He says, "You goddamn right, I did." <laughs> so that moment is earned by yeah. all the lethargy throughout the episode. If you yeah. had just had that moment with Riker just being his normal Riker self, it'd be cool. Yeah, But that's not what does it. What you do is you put the character through this thing so he has to come back to that moment. Yeah. And that's why it makes it emotionally resonant. I'm putting it out into the universe. I would love a one-hour sit-down with Jonathan Frakes, just me and him shooting the shit about anything. It would be awesome. And I'd eventually talk about Star Trek because I just love the energy of this person. And I had forgotten how much I enjoyed having this person in my life to watch weekly or to watch on his other shows. So great to see him get a spotlight here in this episode. All right, let's move on to Picard and Jack. That's the other asset, other uh, one of the other relationships that we should jump into here connected. You know, we see at the beginning Picard uh, being told by Riker, as I mentioned earlier, like go have this time with your son. So as opposed to the last episode where he's like this, this situation, I can't solve it. I can't save it. It's unsolvable at when Riker was telling Picard to go to spend more time with his son. 
This time Picard listens to Riker. And I've obviously, you know, he's had time to process and all this kind of stuff. So we see him walk and speak uh, and go over there to talk to Jack. He brings him in the 10 forward. And of course, we had started the episode in 10 forward with, with uh, uh, Picard there in that bar to, about to have lunch and all these young cadets show up. And from the timing of this five years ago, this is just before a couple of years before season one of Picard. So you see the outfits kind of matching what we saw some of the cadets wearing in season one of Picard. So nice kind of reference there to keep within the timeline of what they've created. But you see him holding court as a you know grand gesture. And there's nothing John Luke loves more than having his ego stroked. And so seeing them all talk about him and asking him questions and he's going on. And we find out as the uh, uh, show uh, progresses here in this episode, him and Jack have been talking and sitting at that bar as well and talking about the past. And uh, Jack doesn't seem all that excited about it. He makes kind of a joke about the hair to kind of alleviate things or loosen the tension a little bit. But then Picard falls back on this story and Jack gives him a smirk as if he's heard the story before. Picard even notices it and says, wait, has your mother told you the story? And Jack doesn't reveal where he heard the story, right? And so Picard wants to know, when did you decide? Because Jack doesn't know where to start telling about his life. When did you decide not want, not wanting to connect with me? What is it that made? So it's kind of left hanging in the air. And then we have the cadets come in and Picard has the back and forth with Sean, which we'll get to a little bit. Um, and, and then Jack later... We see Jack helping with the whole situation. Picard and Jack working together to get out of the uh, asteroid belt. You know, um, uh, sorry, Jack navigating the asteroid belt for Picard, kind of like his father did, mirroring what happened in that story in a much larger scale versus a two shuttle, uh, two man shuttle and this ship. Uh, and then by the end, Picard realizes where he had seen Jack before. So, what did you what did you think about how they handled and furthered? the Picard-Jack relationship here in this episode. So this is advanced screenwriting. This is <laughs> this is this is playing three-dimensional chess to use yeah. a Star Trek term. I mean, yeah. and let's start with that end because that's the that's the key is that yeah. Jack actually did come to seek out his father. He did he found his father at his father's favorite place, was probably about to go talk to him and right. talk about family and relationship and all those things. And then he gets interrupted by all the cadets. And it makes perfect sense. The way uh, Patrick Stewart plays it is great. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, 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 I'm going to have my lunch. No, I don't want to brag. No, no, no. <laughs> but then he gets wrapped up in the thing. And it's in character. It makes perfect Ooh, sense. Me? I mean, you know, I mean, he gave them what he what yes. they wanted. That's yes. what they and, and he got to be the great man and all that stuff. And they applauded. And then and then Jack asks him about family. And he says, Starfleet is my family, which. For the cadets, for the show that he's putting on, right? that was exactly the right thing to say. And he right. didn't know this was his son. Right. So now we go back, we go into the future where suddenly dad brings you into the same place where you sought him out, where you have trauma, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And now dad wants to talk about exactly the thing he said didn't matter to him when you asked him the fucking question five years earlier. And so, and what I love about it too, and I, just to make this personal just for a moment, my dad and I were not buddies. We weren't mm -hmm. close. We didn't have that kind of relationship. And that one of the things that really frustrated me as I became a grown up was there were certain topics we could talk about Cal football, the stock market, a couple of other things. Yeah. And when I would talk to him on the phone, I would go, I'm not going to retreat to Cal football. I'm not going to bring up Cal football. I'm not going to do it. I want to have another conversation with my dad. And then we would stumble for so long and there wouldn't be anything there. And I'd go, 
oh, did you hear about the quarterback they're recruiting or something? And then we would talk. Jack asking him to tell the fucking story that he's already heard. Yeah. Is saying, is literally going, I am shutting the door. I know this is all you care about. I'm shutting the door on this family bullshit that you're trying to bring up. And I'm going to give you what I know you like to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. That is a lot of stuff that that they bring together and they bring together in the opposite order where we only find about the Jack part of it at the end. Yeah. I think it's fascinating too, Steve, because it's a Picard trait. It's a Picard trait that when he's not ready to talk about or deal with emotional stuff, the walls go up. He yep. pushes away. In a, so by having Picard talk about the story again, I love how the episode, the construction of the episode has him drift off as the song yep. plays and stuff. You don't even hear the story. Yep. You know, I love that that's, uh, that's going on there in that moment because Jack's heard it. Right. So he wants to make him comfortable. So, the more he talks about shit that Jack already knows about, the less they're going to talk about the hard moment in the actual bar that happened five years ago. They, he does not. Jack's not ready to confront that stuff. He even tells Picard uh, later on in the episode, I don't need this. Uh, you know, I don't I, I'm cool. Like, we don't need to talk about it. And Picard's the one that says, no, but I need it. I want to talk about it. Right. I want to get into it, you know, and it's a fun story. Him and his, uh, him sure. and Jack's dad, like, you know, hooking up with a couple of girls and getting in trouble, stealing the it's car hilarious. from your dad, you know, getting in trouble and all of that. It's a great story. And you like that. So it's, it's a father clumsily trying to connect with his son about talking about getting laid, which is a weird approach, but okay. But that speaks to how clumsy Picard would be with family members, I think, in trying to connect in that way. So, um, and it's all about how cool Picard and Crusher were, you know, and so these kinds of things. It even says, like, I would have named you Jack as well. So that's kind of an interesting thing between them as well. So, yeah. What did you think about where we ended up, though? Is Jack, by the end, Picard remembering, is that a way of breaking through things? Is he now going to be much more open to Jack? Or is this going to send Picard back behind his walls again and Jack behind his walls again? Um, going forward, what do you think we're at with the look they exchange at the end of the show? So I will say that structurally, I think yeah. as a writer and knowing this is the last season of Picard, I think he will resolve this in a way mm-hmm. because that's just where we got ahead. Yeah. I also think, you know, it's funny. I was, it just occurred to me, you know, we uh, Scott and I just did the original series mm-hmm. and one of the big, not that I didn't know this, but really hit really hard is the deep and profound loneliness of James T. Kirk. Yes, that this is a guy whose whole journey is I'm going to sacrifice my personal happiness. I'm going to sacrifice love in order to be the captain of the ship. The difference that I see with him and Picard. Yeah. Jim Kirk has two best friends, Spock and McCoy. Yeah. Riker is not Picard's best friend the way that Spock is Kirk's best friend. He has this and he has this literally intimate relationship with Beverly Crusher. Yes. But they're not as close as McCoy and Kirk in a lot of ways. And so Picard is an even lonelier figure. Kirk has that great friendliness. Kirk can form relationships. Yes. You know, Picard has a distance to him. And when he gets into situations, as you said perfectly, when he gets vulnerable, he pulls back. And so, and there's even, you know, there's the end. Even with Laris in the first two seasons, he has not, I mean, she's disappeared after episode one. He's not even like reaching out to her or recording a message for her. Is she still sitting in the bar waiting for him from episode one? I don't know. But even with Laris, there isn't that, you know, thing. So, yeah. No. 
I mean, it's having the people that can truly call you on your shit, mm-hmm. which both Spock and McCoy do with Kirk regularly. Yeah. Picard doesn't quite have that. And it's even at the very end of Next Generation, Picard sits down to the poker game and goes, you know, I don't know why I didn't do this before. And so there's the implication that he is going to try to come out of his shell and actually be a member of a of this family. But I don't think, based on what we see in Picard season one and two, yeah, I don't think he ever really pulls that off. You know, yeah, yeah. It, well, I don't think he's constructed to do so. And this may be why another reason why I love Kirk more than Picard. I like Kirk's emotional availability, his vulnerability, yep. his passion, his fire. You know where you stand with Kirk. And I think with Picard, there is that control of every situation that I'm in. I must have control. And certainly there's something to explore in Picard's all the way childhood past that we could explore and find out where he constructed this uh, armor, this shield, these walls that have allowed him to be as successful as he is. Because that's the real mindfuck when you can construct your life and achieve success but the way you constructed your life kept everybody at bay to a degree. Did you really have a successful life? So it's those kinds of things that you look at uh, both personally and professionally and, and have questions about. And I love that the show is presenting that in such an honest way, as opposed to a judgmental way, which I, I, I really enjoy. Uh, anything more to say on Jack and uh, uh, Picard's relationship throughout this episode? Uh, just that, which I assume maybe we'll get into next mm-hmm. is the Jack witnessing Captain Shaw coming in. Yes, and we are. He says to him. Yes, yeah. we're definitely Because that's part of the Jack Picard relationship too. Yeah. Yeah. But man, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, but from a different place. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll jump in. We're definitely going to jump into Shaw. Shaw and Seven and then Shaw talking about that scenario in um, in the in the bar there, in the holodeck there uh, right after this. All right, Steve, let's jump back onto the Titan here and uh, talk about Captain Shaw, who has, I mean, Todd Stashwick has been doing a phenomenal job this season. For those of you who don't watch 12 Monkeys, he's been fantastic on that show. Obviously great uh, voiceover wise and all the stuff that he's got going on there in his life and his career. An incredible dude, uh, a guy I've got a chance to interview a couple times and just always enjoy being around that man's energy. He is a man's energy. So it's uh, it's always fun to see him and having him be on this ship. They have not turned Shaw into some secondary captain character. There's a lot to explore with him. And certainly we get that in this episode. Remember last episode, he was injured on the bridge, handed control of Titan over to Riker. He is still on the bridge. And, and uh, it is it is seven of nine who has figured out that the changelings are a thing. It is seven of nine who starts to have this working relationship with Shaw, considering how Shaw was such a dick in the first episode and and, and uh, insists on calling her Commander Hanson instead of Seven of Nine or Commander Seven of Nine or Commander Seven even for short, uh, like LaForge does, he he is you know kind of in this uh, space in his place recovering from uh, this injury and what have you, and him and Seven of Nine go on a mini quest here to figure out who the Changeling might be. He's the one that helps her, but she turns to him as a captain would. And I love that we're seeing these captain instincts from seven of nine here on the sidelines. I love seeing that. And she's the one that goes like, whatever my issues are with Shaw, he's the guy I need to talk to because he knows everybody on the ship. They work out uh, how to figure out where the changeling is staying, which is in a pot. And we see the picture of Odo on the screen that he hangs to hands to uh, seven of nine, which is great. Then they work together to get those nacelles open. 
she's the one that figures out LaForge is a changeling there when they come when they, uh, LaForge comes down to supposedly help them. But then we also see Shaw open up about why he has an issue with Picard and indirectly why, or maybe directly, depending on how you perceive it, why he has an issue with Commander Hansen or Commander Seven. And it leads to him having this breakdown in front of his own crew, which is a little embarrassing. So a fascinating change for Shaw has been developing over the last two episodes. How did you think about how um, this relationship with him and Seven of Nine and him revealing his anger towards Picard being connected to the Borg situation, Lacutus of Borg? What do you think of all that? I think it's great. And I think it's the best. Like it connects obviously to the pilot of Deep Space Nine with Emissary because that's right. what Cisco is struggling with, with his yep. anger over that over that battle. It also, I think what's so great about it is that we advance these characters without violating these characters. And my yeah. favorite moment of this is as he's talking to Seven and he's giving her all this praise and telling her that she was wrong. And then she figures out and goes, he says, and that is what I would say if I was a changeling. And she says, instead of just being a dick. <laughs> and he goes, exactly. Like, that's a great, that is a great moment of like, I didn't, I'm not apologizing. Yeah. I'm, I'm within yeah. character and she and she's not taking it as that she's going oh this is what it is and then that speech I mean the to be in the middle of the Jack Picard scene yeah. and with all of that emotion and then to bring in the low you know imagine you know whatever you think your low point is yeah and that you're having a deeply emotional problematic conversation as you have hours left to live and then somebody comes in from your most traumatic moment and brings that shit up, yeah. you know, like yeah. the heaviness of that whole thing and his, and what's so great about Shaw as a character, I think and it's so funny. Cause I think, you know, one of the big problems in the first two seasons of next gen is mm -hmm. Roddenberry's decision that everything is perfect. The Federation has figured everything out. We don't yeah. have drug problems. We don't have emotional problems. We deal with everything perfectly. And that's part of why those first two seasons are so bad. Shaw yeah, is everyone the else is the issue, not us. Yeah, right? exactly. we're we figured it all out. Yeah, yeah. Shaw is the opposite. Yeah. Shaw, he's a fucked up guy. Yeah. He's dealing with his own trauma, and that fucked upness causes him to make behavioral choices that might rub us the wrong way. Mm -hmm. But they're absolutely, totally believable and make perfect sense. Yeah. Is that the story of him and and how moved he is and how vulnerable he is talking about how this lieutenant saved his life. And who else had to die to do it? Yeah. And that's all through Star Trek. All through Star Trek has events yeah. where we don't maybe deal with the trauma, but that trauma's got to be there. You yeah. know, yeah. these red guys died, you know? Basically. Yeah, the red shirt guys. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I mean, 100% really, like I said, I'm really enjoying what Todd Sashwick is bringing to the role. And I like how they're fleshing him out slowly, as episode by episode. There isn't just a, oh, like, he's a dick. That's it. There's more to it than that, and understanding why. And the, I mean, this was this was a cousin to the USS Indianapolis speech in Jaws. Him talking about yeah. what happened to him and how fifty of you know he was just an engineer. He was a nobody on the USS Constance, and um, he was there when all this shit went down. And as soon as Picard hears the name of that ship, he immediately knows yep. where Shaw is going. He doesn't stop him. He lets Shaw talk about it, which is in a way. 
Picard's penance that he has to do every time anyone mentioned this and his own trauma, as you mentioned trauma throughout this episode, his own trauma of being Lacutus of Borg, which we know came through in, uh, in first contact. We see how that still resonates with him. That is such a turning point for him, Lacutus of Borg. So we, he let Shaw go on and Shaw describes, you know, 50 of us were down there to get to the life pod. There's only 10, 10 spots. And then this, we waited for orders. We didn't fight amongst each other. These were all my Jack crushers. These were all my Jack crushers. And I couldn't get on the ship. None of us got on the ship and we didn't fight. We waited for orders. The Lieutenant came down and just randomly picked. And I was the last one picked. Why? Survivor's guilt. Why did I get to survive? Saving Private Ryan. Did I have a good life? You know, it's all of that that comes into this, which I think is so great. And so you understand why Jack, or why, sorry, why uh, Shaw was such a prick to Picard in the first episode. You understand why, by extension, he has issues with Seven of Nine. But I think it's also fascinating that he has not stopped her moving up. He picked her as his number one. Why? So there's there's a a real interesting thing to navigate, and I love that these they have such fantastic chemistry chemistry Jerry Ryan and Todd Stashwick. So I want to see more about why he chose her as his number one. What is he working out here? Is he trying to come to terms with his issues with the Borg by selecting her? Was he able, or does he want to keep an eye on her to see what the situation is? Is in some strange way does he have a fascination and awe and a respect? for what the Borg were able to do. So there's a piece of an element of that involved in it. There's so many ways this can go that I think is very great to have as a subplot with everything else that's going on as the main plots in this season. Um, And I also think this is very interesting, Steve, I came away from this episode concretely believing that Shaw was right. Yeah. Was he a dick in the first episode? Absolutely. But I'm in that camp that Shaw was right. These guys commandeered a shuttle under false pretenses they engaged in this stuff even though shaw told them not to they showed up here they convinced seven of nine to help them and they put 500 lives at risk for their own personal needs and so i think there's a valid complaint that shaw has had and after this four episodes although they got out of it for now whatever loss of life has happened whatever's gone down here Shaw was right to try to stop them doing this kind of stuff. And we see the result of that. And I wonder if there's going to be a conversation that happens now in the next episode about how this all went down. Okay. I got a whole bunch of stuff and I'm going to see if I can remember all of them. The first one is I want to go back to Shaw on the constants and the choice. And you said, and Shaw thinks, why was I, it was random. I don't think it was random. He says, why me? He yes. says why that's they, what yep. he thinks. That's what I'm that's saying. What, yeah, the Shaw yes. thing. Yeah. That's what Shaw thinks. Mm-hmm. I think the I think this lieutenant looked at who are the best people, who are my best crew members who have the most potential, and that's okay. who she picked. <laughs> I think Shaw was picked for a reason. That's a big leap you're making. Well, I don't know the I mean, obviously yeah, exactly. there's no way to know, yeah. but that's what I think. The second thing is I think like like Riker, Shaw has the potential to be a great Starfleet captain, but he has to work through his own trauma. Right to get to where right. he needs to be, and that's part of what's happening in this episode. I think he's deeply conflicted. I mean, to have Picard and Locutus be the same person, yeah, the hero and the villain of his. I mean, that's a that's a lot that Shaw has to reckon with in order to figure out who he's supposed to be. The third thing I wanted to say is that how many times in Star Trek are we down to the last possible second that the warp drive's got to function or the whatever, or we got to yeah. blow up the Genesis device and get away in time. 
And in all of these, and that's why I think it's great, by the way, this is called the Kobayashi Maru, because because what those all oh, are. Uh, uh, yeah. The, the no, um, it's called the no-win scenario. Oh, called the no-win thinking. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Called the no-win scenario. Because, because all of those are dice rolls where mm-hmm. Captain Kirk, if he had been a second later, yeah. the Enterprise blows up. If Picard just fails to do this, everybody dies. Over and over again, you roll the dice, you roll the dice, you roll the dice. In Star Trek, we always win. And this is an episode about we rolled the dice and we lost. And we are living in that moment of it didn't work, which eventually it's got to not work. And this goes to your point, you know, of was Shaw right? It's like, you know, we, we've talked about it many times. One of my favorite moments in Lawrence of Arabia is where Lawrence says to Allenby, well, isn't an officer in the field supposed to use their initiative at all times? And Allenby says, not really, Lawrence. It's very dangerous. And Lawrence <laughs> exactly. agrees. Is yeah. that Captain Kirk breaking the regulations always works. Right. Always. Except you don't actually want everyone in the army to just go off and do whatever. There's a reason we have these yeah. regulations. Because lots of times when you break them, it doesn't work. And that's this. Yeah, I totally they they caused they caused the Titan to to almost be destroyed. Yeah, exactly. the Titan is okay if they don't do this. And, and and what is Shaw experiencing as once again Picard is involved with his possible death on a starship? Like, yep. what is he navigating while that's happening as well? So, this idea uh, has to be kind of permeating through him. But when when Seven and Picard show up to talk to him to ask him to help. Um, I think it's fantastic. He's like, I know I'm the last person you want to see, but we need you. And he's like, oh, you need a grease monkey. He immediately, you know, he doesn't stand on ceremony. He doesn't get cocky about being the captain. He's like, I get it. We got to save the ship. So I would argue. He he calls them a dipshit from Chicago. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like he says, because that's what he calls himself. I know, but that's great. Yeah. It's a great way of breaking the ice between them. I agree with you. And I would argue that he's already a great Starfleet captain. It's achieving legendary status is right. where he has to confront his trauma. So, because I I like him as a captain of this ship, and 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 we'll see if I think by the end of this, which will be really interesting, because I tell you this right now, if he survives this season, and all those crew members, so I've really enjoyed all the actors who are playing the crew members. I'd be quite happy to have a U.S. Titan, U.S.S. Titan sure. series or Titan, just call it Titan, Star Trek Titan. I'm 100 percent on board for a season with Shaw and Seven of Nine and all those crew members going on adventures i'm down but um, by the yeah, way one yeah. super quick thing with seven seven and uh ensign laforge yeah is this is again this is great writing the previous episode we have right. the moment where she says i'm going to call you seven out of a sign of respect and to and that's emotionally that's just right. great that's great right. but then we use that as a plot point in this episode that's where the writing gets awesome you're 100 right and, and and it's because um she's coming to comfort seven over yep. what's happened to her with Shaw kicking her off the bridge and essentially decommissioning her. Uh, and so to have that connected and be something that uh, pops up here with the changeling situation, I thought was great. Yeah, we should hit that. Cause that's a side thing. What did you think about how they handle the changeling stuff here with the way um, uh, the pot was used? Odo was seen and then uh, her fighting that a changeling initially, and then the changeling escaping into the walls and eventually becoming the forge and she kills the changeling. What did you think of all of that? It's the difference between good fan service and bad fan service (laughs) is that is that there's lots of times where you throw a little like like having Dalmok and having some of these other references to other episodes. Those are totally fine. And they're fun. And that's what most fan service is. What this is, is when you and particularly in the way that they portray the changelings is that 
when you realize that, oh, we're dealing with changelings, you go, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, it's scary. And because, of course, technology has advanced a lot since Deep Space Nine, the way they're able to portray them is like, oh, no, what the hell is going on? And to be real clear, Amanda Plummer's hand is a changeling? Well, we'll, we'll get what, to that. What, what, what the hell is we'll going on there? Okay. <laughs> but no, I love it. I think they handled it great. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So really good. Um, so let's talk about the overall actions. Let's talk about the overall logic of how they got out of this whole situation. As I said at the beginning, Riker is going through all the options and all the crew members on the bridge of the Titan are telling him all those options can lead to us dying. It's not going to, there's no, there's no way to solve this thing. But then Beverly, who has been just randomly counting down and predicting these energy waves that have been coming through from this middle of the nebula or whatever it is that, uh, that was described last episode, she's figured out that these, there's energy that is regenerating and it's getting quicker and they might be able to ride these waves out if they make these changes. Riker is initially hesitant. He doesn't want to get involved. He doesn't think it's going to work. He doesn't want to risk a lot, all this kind of stuff. And once again, he's ruling by caution and safety. Uh, and Picard is the one that finally has to call him out. And so Riker eventually agrees and they start to make this plan. Uh, and then all of them come together. Old school TNG on the bridge coming together, working together with Jack Crusher, with the crew members of the Titan, LaForge at the helm, all those things happen, or at the, you know, driving the ship, all those things happen, and Picard sits in the captain's chair because Riker says, you've done this before in a two-man shuttle, so I concede control of Titan to you, Captain, say the Titan to you, take it, and he, you know, of course he does the engage, and they get out of the situation, and we see the space jellyfish that, of course, is a reference to Encounter at Farpoint, so you... Tell me, Steve, did you enjoy this logically, scientifically, technically? I know you're a big fan of that kind of stuff. Did you enjoy the way this all was paced out and the logic of it at every step of the way, all the way until the end when they get out of this whole thing and kind of find the rebirth uh, of these uh, creatures, the space jellyfish here? So first of all, just in terms of the logic and science, one of the places that I think, particularly in later Star Trek, where it tends to go awry for me yeah. is when we just have a long techno babble conversation. It's like, right. oh, well, if we reverse polarity on the deflector shield, we might be able to create an anti-miter flux, which will, <laughs> and everybody's like, oh yeah, I guess we can do that. It's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Whereas in Wrath of Khan, when Spock says that Khan's strategy shows two-dimensional thinking, right? I get it, I understand. And yeah. so this is an example of where I don't have to understand you know, what's going on with these bio, you know, things in this yes. place where I don't need to. The idea like, oh, these are contractions. They're coming to regular times. I get right. that. It's sending out energy and we could ride the energy like a surfer. Totally get that. Right. In fact, there's an episode because we're doing the animated series. Uh, one of our planets is missing. It's an episode where there's this giant cloud. They're trapped inside and yeah. they use and their power's all gone down and they use energy from the cloud in order to power the Enterprise and get them out. I was like, oh, it's connecting to a whole bunch of other Star Trek and all of this and the fact that it's like, oh, we got to open up the nacelles and that gives us each of our people have different jobs. Yeah. And then navigating through asteroids, this is, you know, all sorts of Star Trek that's that's very satisfying to feel. There's there's even an episode, and I can't remember which one it is offhand. I think it might be Booby Trap or something where Picard actually takes the helm to navigate them through uh, like a, an asteroid field. Oh. I think it probably is Booby Trap. And the, the, um, the other thing is that the idea of this countdown of this last moment yeah. and that 
Uh, I totally lost my train of thought. There, there, it's just something so Star Trek about the way that we're heading toward. Oh, I know what it was. This is is that so many times in Star Trek, it goes all the way back to the Galileo Seven with Spock jettisoning the fuel and igniting it. Oh yeah, yeah. We choose a desperate chance of survival over a slow death. Right. And that is the choice that Riker is facing. And I was, again, I'm frustrated because I'm like, Riker, of course you have to try this. You're just, we're going to die in four hours. All you, we're talking about a couple hours, man. Exactly. But like that is classic Star Trek of like you, Kirk pushes it to the limit. Picard pushes it to the limit. That's what they do. And that's how we're going to survive. So I, I, I think it really works well. Yeah, I think so too. It was, it, it was the right amount of tension that was pulsating throughout that I really enjoyed and the way they all came up with this. And I kept wondering, why are we going back to Beverly? How is she predicting these waves? Blah, 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 all this stuff. And then then you realize, oh yeah, she's figuring this down. And as a mom who has had babies, she understands what a contraction is. So she understands what this is. And a doctor. And a doctor, right? Of course. Yes, 100%. And so she understands what this all means. And so it's like, it, it made sense that she's the one that initiates this conversation. And I love that Riker, who is still processing, as you said, Steve, this trauma, is hesitant and it's Picardo has to remind him, hey, like last episode, we didn't take action. Let's take action. Let's do this together. LaFord's there, everybody getting on board and being a part of this. It's really great to see, including Shaw, who in essence is kind of like Bones working with Scott yeah. to, to totally. mess with the missile there to come after uh, uh, come after um, Chang in Star Trek VI. So we see that uh, reflected in that moment as well. Speaking well and there, Star- there, there's also just the the... Look, if we're going to die, let's die being who we are. Yeah, which is a great moment. Yeah. What a rally, great rallying cry. And uh, I think Riker delivers a fantastic captain speech there. Totally. Talking to everybody, which is great. Um, and so let's move on to Vatic real quick. So, yes, she cuts her head off, as Steve mentioned. It becomes a changeling and a skull that is telling her what to do. Um, so she's clearly a changeling. So she's involved in this and the cha- the 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 head changeling or whatever you want to say who's ever in charge of this plot which i think is the main villain uh says you know you got to sacrifice yourself you pursue you pursue nothing is more important than getting jack crusher um you are not important your crew is not important the ship's not important nobody's important except for getting this so she engages in it and for her troubles she gets an asteroid thrown at her and the shrike is incapacitated for an hour while warp drive is going to return to the Titan and they're going to take the hell off out of that place. So she's not dead, which I was afraid they were going to do, but her spinning around in the chair, so reminiscent totally. of her dad in Star yeah. Trek six, spinning around in the chair and her quoting the things that she's quoting. So what do you think about that whole scenario here of her cutting the hand of changeling who might be involved? I think it's lore, but who do you think is involved uh, maybe behind this whole thing? And uh, what did you think of how uh, discovering that she was a changeling? So first of all, I think she is emerging as one of the great Star Trek villains just from these four episodes. I think Agreed. just, She's so and, it's, good. and it's so funny, like you think of her as a young actor and the parts <laughs> that she was given and you go like, you know, we, we said this a lot of times with actors of like, oh, you needed to grow into your character actorness, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and man, obviously she has because she's killing it. Yeah. The interesting thing about the changelings for me is that the changelings in a weird way are like the Borg because mm. with the great link, they're all... The question of whether or not they are differentiated individuals or non-differentiated individuals is really complicated. And so it's not what the Borg is, but it's a different version. And with the Odo character of wanting to hold on to his individuality at the end of Deep Space Nine, he Mm. joins into the Great Link. And so what that part plays in this, if it I mean, obviously, we know that lore is 
so, something in this show. And, yeah. and you know, yeah. so we're headed. So he's got to be connected in some way. I really go because at the end of D Space Nine and the Dominion War, it's sort of we're all cool with the changelings. You right. know, like like right. we we figured out how to make peace and stuff like that. And now it's like, okay, something has happened. And the yeah. what is the power that they have over her to make her essentially go on this suicide mission? That's mm -hmm. it there there there's I'm if they can stick the landing on this, it's gonna be really impressive. That's so you I'll think say. you think it's still Vatic, but a piece of her is a changeling, whereas I think she's a full changeling. They've killed Vatic like they killed the oh. transport person. Is but then that, why is she arguing? That's the that's the question, right? Why is she arguing? And this, this is I have the I mean because she's that's a terrorist sect that's separated out from the changelings. That's oh, what is that? Claim, that's what they claimed in the last okay. episode. Worf I miss I missed that piece. Okay, okay. Worf and Raffi were claiming that this might be a terrorist sect mm. of the changeling because the changelings had come to terms with uh, the peace agreement after the Dominion Wars. And the thing is, the Federation can't even recognize this terrorist sect because it might reignite the Dominion. That's Wars. right. You're right. Okay, right. that makes much more sense. That, yeah. that and maybe that ties in the lore thing as well. That yeah. he's what made that happen. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because I think Lore wants to get Jack Crusher because he wants to absolutely destroy Picard emotionally and for all the reasons that we've seen in Next Generation, but also because of those things with his brother. So it's like, there's a, how is he going? You mentioned how Picard doesn't have close relationships. I would argue data is maybe the closest relationship he's ever had, even though that's a, that's an Android and the fact that he's got this, uh, the synth skin or whatever, the, whatever's gone on with his body from the, uh, from the first episode or first season. So all this stuff is kind of tied into lore in some way, shape or form. And of course, where the labs that they stole the weapon from is the labs that, lore's creator was a part of so there's a lot that's involved here that i think in the end is going to lead us to lore but why is he doing this is i think is is it just to torture picard or destroy picard is this vengeance that deep or is there something stronger that he wants to completely destroy the federation because picard was an extension of that so i just i have a lot of questions when we go to All this right. yeah. i have a, I have a crazy thought that's just gone through my sure mind, give it which is me. okay we have jack crusher who has a brother Wesley, who yes. is gone and absent and disappeared. Yes, yeah. We have the Rikers, where the brother has died. And there is a, 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 another sibling yeah. who's sitting there, the daughter. We have Picard, who oh, had right. a very tumultuous relationship with his brother. Right, right. And we have Lore, whose brother is Data. Yeah. He's gone. So we have all of these absent brothers that's yeah. just occurring to me. And now, I don't I would say there's a 90% chance that this weird thing I just said has nothing to do with what's <laughs> going to go on. But it just struck me as like, well, what, you know, what is Lore's motivation? What right. is his, what does he want at this point, particularly with no data in anymore, you yeah, know? Right. And how is Moriarty going to figure into all of this? Oh. I'm very curious to see as well. Let's, let's wrap up by hitting that last moment here with Jack. He is looking in the mirror. And he sees those uh, whatever tendrils, things or whatever on the wall. We hear a voice, uh, voices, disembodied voices calling to him to save them. We see a red door open. Jack smashes his head. And we all, I, I thought I saw a little flash of something. And I wonder if he's involved with the changelings in some way. What is Jack Crusher? What is this connective tissue? What is involved here? So, what did you take away from those last few moments Dude, with Jack Crusher on the show? I don't, 
I wish I had a good thought. I really don't. <laughs> there's clearly so clearly there's some because because I don't think I yeah. don't think it's just I want to get Jack Crusher to get re revenge on Picard. That's okay. too simple an explanation, I think, right. because because there's a lot of ways you get revenge on Picard and the the you know what they're risking to get that one guy. Yeah. I mean, in the way that this is getting Picard's going to die. So I think something is there's something specific about Jack Crusher yeah. that is different, and maybe it's connected to Wesley. Because mm -hmm. and I and I and I don't think there's is there any rumor of Wesley coming back for this? I haven't heard anything to be honest with. But, and to be fair, I haven't really kind of tried to seek it out. So maybe there has been stuff out there about um, Wheaton coming back, but I have not heard. I, I haven't heard anything. I mean, I don't look at a lot of sort of you know rumory things other mm -hmm. than the Geek Buddies. If the Geek Buddies mentions it, then I will probably hear it. Yeah. But other than that, I don't really pay that much attention to it. Right. But I go like, is there something? There's something about him personally, his body, something yeah. about him, some connection that he had to someone to the changelings to you know we're holodecks with moriarty i don't know what it is right but i feel like there's something here yeah what is he taken it feels yeah. like he's stolen something right yeah the the one of the disembodied voices says find me right and we hear it said, find me not fight me because i couldn't tell for sure that's what it, i so find me okay it sounded like find me to me uh, but it could be find me i don't know it sounded like find me to me but then we hear beverly's voice calling his name jack yeah jack so what does this all mean you know what's it all so there's a lot of questions Whoa. yeah go ahead again find me could be wesley yes but it was but it was a female voice oh was it okay oh, yeah yeah so i don't know all right. if there's an element to that you know no offense to will you know, no yeah, yeah of course <laughs> all right uh any final words well there were some easter eggs steve i think we've talked about most of them mentioned most of them uh yeah it, but this is a big one or reference here or maybe Easter, this is the first time that we have heard an admiral's log from picard since star trek nemesis he mm. did not do this in the first two seasons of picard and he hadn't done it in the first three episodes of picard this is the first time that he has done one in its entirety since star trek to nemesis uh, star trek to nemesis back in 2002 so that's pretty big yeah, I mean, honestly, the least remember about Nemesis, the better, as far as I'm concerned. But yes, <laughs> it is yeah. a thing. Um, by the way, the big thing for me that I think they did so is that they can give yeah. us this sense of triumph, this sense of we won, yes. Yes. While, while also particularly with that last scene with Jack, but like be completely uh, stressed about what's coming next because we yeah. know it's not over. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Also, uh, both Riker and uh, Crusher get to say a version of the Star Trek opening sure. monologue. Beverly says to seek out new life. Riker says, I think we should boldly get the hell out of here, which I think is a great Riker thing to say uh, for sure. And uh, is there anything? Oh, Metallus is, of course, a Metallus 4's reference. That's a reference to the showrunner, Terry Metallus, which I think is great. So, so uh, by the way, I heard Talus 4 when he was talking, and Talus oh, 4 is where the cage takes place, which is, right. the, you know, General Order 4 was the one place where is the death penalty. And I was I had my head whole, totally spun out on, what the hell was Jack doing on Talus 4? And, oh, my God, is this some sort of illusion? And then, and then I went, no, no, that's not what he said. It's okay. Move, move along. <laughs> it's a nice reference to the showrunner. And also, um, Calto. We see Calto, the Vulcan Calto game, in the, the um, in the uh, transporter person's uh, quarters there when hmm. Seven of Nine is going through them. Of course, she loved playing that game, so it was a nice little reference there as well. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, uh, this is a fantastic episode. Steve, any final words here before we wrap up? Uh, just that I can't wait for episode five. I'm down. I'm in the same camp as you. This is again. This brought everybody back together. People have been dying to see the TNG crew back together. There've been teases when they've hung out with each other over the first two seasons of Picard. 
now on the bridge, the at least some elements or some members rather of the original crew being on the bridge and getting out of a situation uh, to survive a no-win scenario, dare I say, uh, was so great to see. So a fan- another fantastic episode of Picard season three. Four episode arc seems like we stopped. Now we move on to the next, kind of like with Andor, three episodes mm. at a time. It feels like this, this was this was a big uh, a story to tell here, encompassed in four episodes. Now we move on to the next stage of the story, and it'll be fascinating to see how many episodes kind of uh, they take for that, and then maybe some other uh, kind of episodes. And of course, Star Trek is known for doing those trilogies within uh, those, you know, like, like like two, three, and four within uh, the overall point of, of doing these movies and doing these shows. So uh, great to see for sure. Uh, all right. Uh, thanks to everybody who's uh, watched this uh, review, uh, the spoiler review here, or listen to the spoiler review. You can always download us uh, on the Geek Buddies podcast feed as well, in case you don't want to see our pretty faces. You can always listen to us there as well. And big, big love to Steve Morris, who joined me here for this review. It won't be the last time he's going to be on these reviews for sure. So, Steve, thanks so much. Please let everybody know where they can find you and all the stuff you got going on, and especially Enterprise Incidents. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy to be on the Geek Buddies. Uh, it, you can reach me at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. Of course, the Cinephiles podcast, which John and I do together. And as you said, Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. We worked our way through the original series, having in having original writers, Walter Koenig, a director of Star Trek, Ralph Sinensky, who directed six episodes of the original series. He joined us for deep dives on all six. He is 99 years old and has... <laughs> a memory way better than mine. These are amazing conversations. We've now moved on to the animated series. I am really, really proud of Enterprise Incidents. So if you're a Star Trek fan, I highly recommend checking it out. And uh, I think that's it. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know about the Cinephiles, that's a show that Steve and I have been co-hosting for seven years now, a podcast. Uh, we get hundreds of thousands of people listening to us every month. We break down one great uh, film or kind of great film and have fun talking about it right now we're in we're knee deep in the season of tarantino and we're just about and we just released uh part we're just about to release part one of django unchained right. tomorrow with our special guest jay washington so go and uh revisit that and see all the different uh, uh films that we've spoken about and there's a number of star trek films that we've done deep dives on with scott mance your co-host on Enterprise Anderson and our friend who's been has been fun to talk Star Trek with him for a longer extended periods of time on that show. As for us here on the Geek Bodies, please remember to subscribe to the channel down below, the Outlaw Nation. Subscribe and hit that bell button. You know, I have a goal to hit 50,000 subscribers by the end of the year. Help me do that by subscribing down below, hitting that bell button, hit a like on this video, that thumbs up button, hit that thing, leave a comment down below. Did we get everything you want us to talk about? Are there other references? What are your theories about what's going on? Let us know down there in the comment section below. Remember to follow me at the Roca says, follow Michael uh, Vogel at MK2 tune, follow Shannon at Shannon, the geek buddy. Um, and uh, what else is Sh- Shannon? Shannon underscore McClung, I think on, uh, on Twitter. And for us as the geek buddies, follow us right above there at geek underscore buddies on Twitter and the underscore geek underscore buddies on Instagram as well. And of course, Big shout out to CarbonHealth.com, who continues to power and sponsor us here on the Geek Buddies. Head on to CarbonHealth.com or download the app to have a doc in your pocket to, have, to address any of your healthcare questions, concerns, or needs. Maybe you were on the USS Constance and had issues to going on there that you got to get to come to terms with. And I think this applies to this episode. They've really uh, uh, put together some fantastic programs to help people deal with trauma and mental health issues over there at CarbonHealth.com. So go and check them out today. If you're in one of those places and you need a little assistance, you need a little guidance, 
Check them out today and see if they can help you as well. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. For my partner here, Steve Morris, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new spoiler review here of Picard on the Geek Bodies. Hey. hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.